why we do what we do. Why do we do communion? It's a question we have to ask ourselves as we jump into it. We're in this new series called Why? And for the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at the individual things we do as a church and as individuals and ask the questions, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? The truth is the title of this series could come across more as a membership class extension like a 101 on why the church does what it does. But what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of a different approach and not make it quite as academic and more applicable on why we do what we do. My goal this morning and over the next eight weeks is to remind us that there's a reason why we do what we do. And that reason, there's actually a foundational, simple reason on why we do anything that we do as a follower of Christ. And that answer is actually found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, as well as 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I'd like to read for you the passage from Colossians chapter 3 to start off with, actually starting in verse 12 to give you a little bit of context. But it says this, as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone is grievous against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, let it rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In verse 17 is that focus verse where it says these words and whatever you do if you have a highlighter and you want to highlight in your Bible I'll underline that and whatever you do in word or in deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God for the Father through Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 comes after the church of Corinth was in a debate on whether or not they should eat certain things or how they should go about it and Paul answers them with this. In verse 31 he says so whether you eat or you drink, or, again, same term, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Our why we do what we do has a base foundational answer for everything that we do. And we do it all for the glory of God. As an individual, the things we do are for the glory of God. As a church, the things we do are for the glory of God. I've mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, and I've mentioned to you before, but the first ten of the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is what we are called to do. That is why we exist. As a matter of fact, Christians in the church are to glorify God. So as we roll into our Why series, it starts off with Why Communion. Simple answer is to glorify God. Next week, we're going to talk about why do we worship? Simple answer is to glorify God. By the way, I'm just going to do this with my hands, and if you want to respond, that's okay. I know some of you are still half asleep because you stayed up just a little too late last night. I get that. But I'm giving you an easy one because the answer is right here behind me, okay? For the glory of God, to glorify God. Why do we give? Why do we give of our time and our talents and our treasures and our testimony and our temple? Why do we give of ourselves to glorify God? Why do we connect in fellowship? To glorify God. Why baptism? To glorify God. Why become a member of the church? 
To glorify God. Why pray? To glorify God. It is the simple base reason. We do what we do to glorify Him. It's really that simple. So I don't have to preach for the next eight weeks. All we have to do is just say, hey, to glorify God and we can go. That's that's really what it kind of boils down to. Now, we will go a little bit further than that. But here is the the point that I'm trying to make. I have a tendency to forget why I do what I do. Sometimes things become too routine. Sometimes things become rote. Um, a, a new year is a good time to look and go, why did I do what I did last year? How, how did I get to this place where I'm at? And how do I stay out of cruise mode or, or, or coasting mode? When do I become less of a to-do lister and actually doing it for a purpose? As a church and individuals, I think we have to ask ourselves a very important question that ties in with the why. And it is this. Is the mission of our lives, is the mission of Paragon Church more than just maintaining status quo? Is it more than just maintaining the status quo of the organization or more than maintaining just the status quo of my life? Do we, do I exist for more than just existing? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, especially at New Year, because this is when all those New Year's resolutions start to play themselves out, and you say, why do I do what I do? And should it be differently? Because honestly, I think there's a lot of people who just go through the motions for the purpose of just existing, rather than going through doing what we do to glorify God. See, God, Jesus, and the church, and everything that goes with it, should be more than just a part of our routine in our life. They should be our life. God should be the driving force behind everything that we do. So that is why we ask why. And please don't go to that commercial uh, selling beer on the why ask why. But today we're going to ask why, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with communion. Why communion? I mean, have you ever been in a position where you looked at this table and saw the juice and saw the bread wafer and said, why do we do this? Have you ever been asked by a friend or a neighbor who is quite possibly somebody who's never been involved in church, that number tends to grow more and more and more every year. The people who are the nuns, who have no religious affiliation and no desire to have any religious affiliation, which is why we're going to be talking about why do we evangelize and disciple, by the way. We'll get to that here soon. What if one of those people asked you, why do you sit down and drink juice and eat bread? Some churches every Sunday, some every second Sunday of the month, some, you know, whatever it might be. Why do you do that? How do you answer that? And yes, the answer is base foundation to glorify God. But in that, when you're sitting in somebody else's shoes and you're going... If they were to ask me that, how would I answer? If I were to invite them and they finally came to church and this happened to come to church on a, on a communion Sunday, would this be weird to them? Singing to a God who we can't see, but we all gather together to praise Him. Eating His flesh and his, drinking His blood. Does that sound weird to anybody else that may have never stepped foot in a church before? Why do we do this? Why do we gather together for this? 
I mean, how weird would it be as we talk about even worship next week for somebody who came in? So what I want to do is I want to really talk about the why, but I want to give you the what and the how as it leads to the why. What is communion to begin with? Well, the basic definition of communion is this. It's a common participation in a mental or emotional experience. If you sat with friends yesterday and watched football, you had communion. Did you know that? If you cheered on a specific team, you were having communion. Now, it's not a word that we really use in that sense. That's more of a party or that's more of a hanging out or that's more of a connection. The word communion, even though that's what it means, it tends to gravitate in a spiritual sense more than anything else. It's a word that we use mainly for its sanctified meaning. And I think the part of the reason for that is because ultimately communion is about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one communing together. That's where it comes from. Now, again, it's not a word that we normally use, but as we plan to take communion, and I'll use communion here because we call this table communion. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some churches call it the Eucharist. We need to understand that communion is more than just a table. The communion is more than even just an event. It's bigger than this morning. We have communion with God because He came. That's what we've talked about for the past five weeks. All at the end of last year, we talked about why He came. You know, at the end of the service last week, I was going to say, Hey guys, see you all next year. Pull that, pull that whole thing out of there. But apparently, that was voted the lamest dad joke of all time so i just so decided not to use it i figured i'd just use it this morning instead so just got to kick the new year off right but as we looked at last year and the end of last year why he came was to have communion with us he came in the flesh to be with us but now he is in us when we follow him john piper actually says this communion refers to god's communication and presentation of himself to us together with our proper response to Him with joy. I looked at that and said, why with joy? Of course, we talked about that just a couple of weeks ago as well. God with us brings joy. Well, it's because His presentation of Himself, it it showed us and brought us, He came in the form of a Messiah. A Savior who bore our sins on a cross so we could have a relationship with Him. You know how He could have come? He could have come as a God of wrath and wiped us all off this planet. That's why I have joy. Because He chose not to do that. He chose to come as a God of love and send us a Messiah so that we could have a relationship with Him. Like we talked about back in December, God is with us. It's so weird to say back in December like December was yesterday. Uh, But God is with us and He brings us joy. Even when we may not like the circumstance we find ourselves in. See, when God came to be with us, He wanted to have an eternal fellowship, an eternal communion with us. In that, we find joy and we celebrate it here at this table. See, one of the things I want you to understand, even as we come together today to do this, this table is not an obligation. It is a celebration. It's a celebration that God came and He brought us life as an event even though it's more than an event, but as an event, this table represents us celebrating. And for, what, over 2,000 years, followers of Christ have celebrated. 
While different denominations celebrate in different ways, and unfortunately they tend to argue about all the hows and the whys and the different things, with the, whether it's juice or wine or every Sunday or uh, so many little things that they tend to argue about, the one thing we cannot lose sight of is this fact. This is foundationally and fundamentally all about Jesus. That is what we have to hold on to. That we are celebrating Jesus' sacrificial death that brings us life. Because He is the focus. It's, it's when, when He first instituted the first Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, whatever way you want to call it, when He did that, it was about Him. He was giving the disciples a way to remember His death and His sacrifice. And still, it's at its core, that's what we do. His, his message to them and His message to us all about communion is celebration, it's remembrance, and it's proclamation. All about His death. You see, communion reminds us and declares that to those we were sharing with these things. One, Christ was with us, that He died for us, and is now alive and working in us and through us. Again, that's Christmas. And it's also Easter. It's all of it tied together. And Jesus actually records in three different... Well, He spoke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record in three different Gospels this Last Supper and the event that took place. Paul actually records it in 1 Corinthians to remind the church at Corinth about the way that it's supposed to go. So what I want to do is I want to look at one of those passages today that really explain the what... And the other one that really explains the why. So if you have your Bibles with me, I would love for you to open to Luke. Luke chapter 22 for me. And in Luke chapter 22, it says this, starting in verse 14. And as we look at it, we will see that it says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For you, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to him, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, as Luke records this, as Luke records this, he shares with us really five different things about the what for communion that leads us to better understand why we do it. And I'd like to go over those quickly, if you don't mind. The first one is this, is communion was actually instituted as during the, the Jewish Passover celebration. And that's an important thing for us to see here. As a matter of fact, you see here in verse 15, it says, Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, the Passover meal was celebrated every year by the people of Israel. Most of you probably know why. And that is because they were delivered from slavery in Egypt back in Exodus chapter 12. In his last supper to the disciples, Jesus actually symbolically uses the, the, the different ways and the different elements to, to convey a deeper understanding of the purpose of his death to the disciples. See, just as God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, so the sacrificial death of Jesus brings us deliverance from slavery as well. But our slavery is different. Our slavery is to sin. 
And so we see that first. The second thing we see as Luke records it is communion was a time of blessing and giving thanks. Verse 17, it says he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. During traditional Passover, there's a number of cups that had wine in them that were drunk for specific purposes. The first cup that was taken was actually called the cup of blessing. And so in that cup of blessing, at his last supper with his disciples, Jesus took that cup and he said, what? Let's give thanks. As a matter of fact, that word Eucharist that some churches call the Last Supper, it actually means Thanksgiving. It actually means Thanksgiving. And that's why communion is called it in in different traditions. But communion reminds us of this, that the blessings we have received in Christ, well, that's something we need to give thanks for. How often do we truly give thanks? I know we're coming out of the holiday season that starts off with Thanksgiving. But how often do we wake up and just give thanks for the blessings that we have in Christ? Probably not enough. At least I know that in my own personal life. So communion was a time of blessing and giving thanks. Communion is also represented by unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was a broken representation of Jesus' body. It says this in verse 19. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this remembrance of me well in exodus the children of israel were only told to eat unleavened bread during passover as a matter of fact they were told to get all of the leaven out of their house now that might be a weird thing and you might be looking at a wafer like this and go why is it this little thing that kind of gets stuck in your teeth what what is it about this particular piece of bread and not having leaven in it well if you go to the book of first corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 it actually tells us that leaven represents sin So as Jesus broke this unleavened bread, he was signifying that his body, which was sinless, was to be broken. It was to be broken on our behalf. Now, I don't want to get caught up in all of the, if you're at home watching right now and all you have is a loaf of bread and you're going to take this with us here in a minute and all you have is Mountain Dew and you don't have grape juice, I don't think God really is going to be like, nope, doesn't count. That's not the way he is. It's about remembering what Christ did. But there is significance in that wafer. And we also have to remember that bread is a source of life and sustenance. Well, in John 6, 48, you know what Jesus calls himself? The bread of life. The bread of life. And that ties in because spiritually speaking, he is our source of life, both now and forever. Fourth, there's a cup of wine. Or in our Baptist circles, a cup of grape juice. Hasn't turned into wine yet, right? But it was shared together to represent Jesus' blood. Verse 20. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Well, traditionally, in the Passover meal, another cup that was drank was called the cup of redemption. You have the cup of blessing, and you have the cup of redemption. It is a reminder of the blood of an unblemished lamb that was sacrificed by each family on the night that the Israelites escaped because they painted the blood over the doorposts. You probably know that story. But the blood of the doorpost said the angel of death would pass over. Hence the reason why it's called Passover. Real, real simple sometimes to, to grab, grasp some of these things. But the communion cup, well, it represents the blood of what? The lamb. But not just any lamb, the lamb of God. Jesus, his sacrifice takes away the sins of the world and preserves us from the righteous judgment of God. He will pass over us because our sin, we deserve death. But because of Jesus' blood, 
we have redemption. It is a cup of redemption because the blood of Jesus paid the price for salvation. Now, have you guys ever thought about the word redemption? We use it a lot in the Christian circles. But what does it mean to be redeemed? By definition, not biblical definition, just just regular definition. This is what it says. To recover ownership by paying a specific sum. To pay off or to turn in or receive something in exchange. Jesus recovered ownership by paying with his life. That is what we celebrate at the table as we take that juice and remember the blood that was poured out. Fifth thing is this, is that communion is a symbol of the new covenant. And in verse 20 it says, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Communion is best understood with a biblical concept of covenant. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. When you get married, you are making a covenant. It was usually consecrated with different seals and different signs. But covenants were, were common in the ancient world and God used them specifically during practices and binding promises that required serious commitment from those who followed Him, from His people. Now using these symbols and pictures of the Old Testament covenants, Jesus lays out a new covenant. And that new covenant is a fulfillment of the old covenant that's actually written about in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Follow along with me as I read it. It says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though that I'm their master, the Lord declared. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them. Where does the Spirit reside? Within us. And I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me and for the least to the greatest of them. For this is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So we see this. And, and the one thing I think we have to hold on to is the fact the old covenant was a covenant of works. But the new covenant is a covenant of grace. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. It is unconditional, undeserved grace. It is a grace made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which we remember at the table. Really, that leads to the how. This part of the what, all of the Old Testament stuff that Jesus is referring back to during the Passover meal, leads to the how. Because I have a question. How in the world does the God of the universe who created everything, the Lord God Almighty, want to have communion with me? I am messed up. You are messed up, in case you didn't know it. We, we are not on the same plane as God, even though we try and put ourselves there. How is He going to have communion with me? Well, Galatians chapter 3 answers that question for us. I'm going to start in verse 10, but I want to focus on verse 13. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. I told you, we're all messed up. Now it is clear that no one is justified by God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Verse 13, that one to highlight. Christ redeemed us. Remember, redemption. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
It was written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. See, the wrath of God was, was supposed to be for us. But it fell on Christ on that cross. Because God gave us Christ as our substitute, we can be reconciled. And guess what we get to have? Peaceful communion. What was the last thing we talked about with Advent? God with us brings peace. A peace on first the relationship between us and Him. That leads to the why. Why do we take communion? We take communion in means of honoring the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made for us on that cross for our sins. We remember what He has done for us. And as we remember, do this in remembrance of me. We do look at four different things. And I told you I, I want to use that second passage to kind of break down the why. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so if you want to go there. But really the why breaks down to this. We look back. We look inward. We look outward. And we look ahead. Let's read the passage together. And as we see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, I think you'll see those things. As Paul is writing to correct the church at Corinth, who was just doing communion out of obligation and even creating a party out of the whole thing it says this in first corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 29 for i received from the lord what i also pass on to you on that night he was betrayed jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me the same way he also took the cup after supper and said this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Those are some pretty powerful words on the why. But based on that teaching, we see the why. He says, first, I want you to look back. I want you to remember. He says, second, I want you to look in. I want you to examine yourself. He says, third, I want you to look outward. I want you to proclaim. And then I want you to look ahead as we prepare for the Lord's second coming. Let's break those down just real quick. Why we look back and we remember. It says, do this in remembrance of me. The broken bread symbolizes Christ's broken body. But who did he say it was for? For you. For you. A blood sacrifice had to be made for sin. His blood poured out and washed away our sins. He did it for us. He took the beatings for us. The body broken for us. The blood poured out for us. The mockings. All of the people saying everything. He did it for you. We remember that. That He would go to the cross and do it for us. And here's the crazy thing that Romans 5, 8 says. It's while we were still enemies of His. Sure, He did it for His disciples that were close, but He did it for the rest of humanity that were the ones that put Him on that cross to begin with. That is a huge thing to remember and something we need to hold on to during the why. We look back and we remember. We also look inward and we examine. Verse 28 says, Let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Communion gives us a chance not just to remember the, the what of what He did on that cross, but also why He would do it 
in the first place. He did it because we are as sinners who have offended God with our lives. Our attitudes and actions, they've created a barrier between us and God. In the moments of looking in, we can examine our hearts and we can examine our lives and we can say, listen, I get it when Romans 3.23 says, says, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. If we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with God, it gives us an opportunity when we take communion to examine our hearts and to confess. Not suppress, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but confess our sins to Him. And when we confess our sins to Him, there's a promise that is made in 1 John 1, 9. You probably have heard it before. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is what happens because of the body broken and the blood poured out. We remember that at the table. Why? We look in, but we also look out. We look outward and we proclaim, because it says this in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Communion spurs us into action for the great commission that is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, as well as in Matthew 28, 19. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples and baptize them in His name. God came into the world to save sinners. To save them from the eternal wrath of God. Why is that just for you? Why do we hold on to that? Why do we not tell our neighbors and not tell our friends and not tell our co-workers about the good news that God sent His one and only Son to die for us so that we could have an eternal relationship with Him? What is it that we hold against them for whatever reason, don't like them or love them enough to share the good news of the gospel, be saved from eternal damnation and be separated from God forever. Why don't we share that? Are we afraid of offending them? Are we afraid of of how they might respond? Why do we say no for them? That's a question my kids and I have all the time. Why, Why do we say no for them? I'm just afraid to ask. Let them say no. If they want to say no, let them say no. But don't not give them the opportunity. God has you in a place and and in a situation and and in your school or in your workplace or wherever it might be for a reason. See, where you're at, I can't share the gospel because I don't know people. You know those people. You have that relationship. You have a heart and a passion, hopefully, for their lives to see them grow and change and become who God wants them to be. He has you there for a reason. We look outward and we proclaim to say, what God did for me, He did for my friends and family as well. And then we look ahead and we prepare. Because the end of verse 26 says, until He comes communion reminds us to live with our eyes on the prize what a great thought and a great remembrance as we kick off 2023 what does 2023 need to be all about it's to glorify god with my life with our church with the resources we've been given not to just try and maintain status quo not just to try and make it a new year's next year that's not what we have this year for that's not what god has given me breath for he's given me breath to look ahead and live for Him and continue to grow in Him. Our whole mission as a church is to see people take the next steps in their journey with Jesus Christ. That is what we want. 
And communion reminds us of that. Those next steps that every day I live in anticipation that that, that could be the day that God uses me for something even greater in His kingdom and to grow me closer to Him. To live for Christ. That is why we do what we do. And today we're going to take communion like so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are probably taking it today as they kick off the year, new year. But we know they've been doing it for the last 2,000 years. And they did it for the sole purpose of looking back and remembering what Christ has done. Looking in and examining their hearts. Looking out and proclaiming the gospel and looking ahead to what Jesus is going to do next. And that day that He returns is going to be such a great day. But as we transition to the open the table, this is what I want to do. One of the things that people fight about is whether or not you should have an open communion or a closed communion. If you're a member of the church, that's the only time you can take it. I, I, I don't fall into that line, just by the way. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, that's who sat at the table and took the first communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're more than welcome to take it today. But again, as we look in, I'm going to invite Sam and Kyle and Christy to come back up here, and we're going to respond in song. And as we respond in song, I'm just going to ask them to give us about 30 seconds of just quiet. I know that's going to be weird for online and stuff like that, but we're just going to take 30 seconds of quiet and take some time to examine the within. And if you need more than 30 seconds, you don't have to come up when the first song starts. But the table is open. So when you are are ready, come up and take it. We're going to sing four songs I'll come up between the, the third and fourth song just to remind you if you haven't taken it yet and you still want to you can and, and what I would challenge you to do is you can take it as an individual you can take it together as a family but take it go back to your seat maybe read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 again when, when Paul is explaining when Jesus took the cup and when Jesus took the bread and he broke it he said do this and remember this to me take time and remember look in look outward Think about people you can proclaim the good news to who need to hear about the body that was broken, the blood that was poured out. I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn, give you, like I said, 30 seconds and then Kyle will start playing the, the, that song as we, as we move into this time of response. So let's pray together. Father, again, we want to thank you for this table. A table that is more than just an event that we're going to do this Sunday and then again at the end of February and there'll be calendar dates throughout the year but it's so much more than just that it's a time to remember what Jesus did for us because you sent him to live the perfect life and be that substitutional sacrifice that each and every one of us need because we couldn't do it on our own God may we remember may we give thanks and praise your name for what you've done and even in the process God may we look inside and go I failed. I failed you and where I'm supposed to be at, what I'm supposed to do. But I'm thankful for your forgiveness and your new mercies that are new every day. God, as we lift you up, we want to proclaim your name. We pray it all in that heavenly name. Amen. Just take 30 seconds.